welcome back. Series 5, Top Landing Girl. <laughs> aviation podcast for everyone, whether you've got an interest in the aviation or not. <laughs> yeah, that was horribly we, real. That was awful. It was just too bad. It was too, too, too close to actually have it. Uh, if we do a one on ballooning, we must do that. <laughs> this is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome back to Series 5 of Top Landing Gear, the aviation podcast for everyone, whether you've got an interest in aviation or not. This week we're going further back in aviation history than we've ever gone before, to the earliest days of commercial air travel, following our visit to the historic Croydon Aerodrome. Opening in the 1920s, Croydon was London's, indeed the UK's, main international airport, and as well as virtually being the birthplace of commercial air travel, it was also the starting point for many of aviation's historic records. So this is a real step back in time, partly because it was so long ago when we recorded the interview <laughs> with a man who knows everything there is to know about Croydon's history, Ian Walker. We'll hear from him a little bit later. But speaking of stepping back in time with some ancient records, allow me to introduce frontman of the early 21st century indie pop band, and still going strong, of course, scouting for girls, and producer of the TLG pod, Roy Stride. Hello, hello. The next member of our team has his own very mixed history in aviation, having flown and pranged pumas for the RAF, driven his own historic bulldog trainer into a hedge, and brought numerous airlines to their knees. Actually, it's not mixed. It's just a continuous timeline of disaster upon disaster. It's our aviation expert and current airline pilot, James Cartman. Some of those airlines didn't go to the war. Well, two of them so far didn't go to the war. So <laughs> now, mankind's own history reveals that we were once cave dwellers who could undertake only the most basic of functions, using a series of grunts and facial expressions in the struggle to communicate. Please welcome narrator of our interminable aviation quick facts, agricultural fencer, and my brother, Jez Curling. <coughs> <laughs> But of course, mankind has also blossomed to create an extraordinarily capable, erudite and beautiful creature where age and experience have broadened not only his mind, but also his girth. Who writes this stuff? Pink of cheek and increasingly loose of bowel, it's me, broadcaster and host of Top Landing Gear, Rob Curling. Hey. Welcome, everybody. Oh, Thank you, Rob. That's Here we to be go back. again, a proper pod. How's everyone been since we last met? Well, uh, older. Mm. Mm. Yeah, some of us. Yeah, greyer. Good. I'd forgotten what most of you look like. Well, like this. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, our listener can't see. Um, James, you've been doing some flying. I did some flying. I've been around um, the bazaars, as they say. The bazaars. Well, people say that. I don't know why. What do they mean? Well, we're around the bazaars. It's what of, bazaars? Well, the bazaars, the markets, and the. I don't know. What it's, just, it's a saying, isn't it? I've never what heard for it. Flying? 
for everything in life. Oh, right. I've been around the bazaars. Is that not a thing? You are bizarre. I, I think you've made that up. <laughs> I don't know mm. what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe I have. James, have you been flying recently? Yes. Where have yeah. you been? I've been, recently I've been to... <laughs> <laughs> the bazaar. <laughs> the bazaar in Ghana. Right. Where they, yeah. they, there's a whole market there. And one chap was just selling odd shoes. <laughs> single <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Incredible. That is bizarre. That's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Do they I, have a leg problem? I don't know. I, most of the people I saw had both. Yeah. Very few. Unibots. Maybe some had three. Maybe. <laughs> I've never. You've never mentioned flying to Ghana before. Uh, I've only been there once before. Were you flying? Yeah. What's the airport? Kolkata, Accra. Right. Well done. Is that now? Is that the flight we recently discussed, where you came back into Gatwick as one of the f- earliest flights? It is one of the. It's before the. The sort of the watershed of six o'clock. It's one and of you things. land on the taxi. <laughs> well, it's not the taxi. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, no, so they have a, and this is a big issue at Gatwick moment because they're trying to become a two runway airport mm. um, but the the standby runway is normally during the day used as a taxiway uh, so you land on that one either because they're working on the main runway mm. um, overnight or they want to just avoid the um, flying over exactly the same houses uh, <coughs> before before six o'clock in the morning and what what are the rules about the the time when you can fly so there are you're each airline, I believe, is allocated a certain amount of flights that can arrive at Heathrow or Gatwick before, um, there's one set before five o'clock, one set before six o'clock. Right? Oh. Um, and so because of the of how long haul works, yeah. obviously some, flight, some flights can't avoid that. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, the uh, a flight in from Accra is scheduled to land at 4.30 in the morning, so that's the only one right. uh, okay. that that's my particular airline has. Uh, and then... At six, I think Heathrow, for example, I think we're allowed something like um, six hundred flights a year can come in before six, before five o'clock in the morning. Okay, so it's um, not so you, a huge amount. No, but, it's, it's, yeah. but a lot of the Far East flights are sort of queuing up, waiting yeah. for the curfew to end, and then they'll they'll, they'll land. Right. So if you're landing on the standby runway, yeah. which is two six right, if you're coming in from uh, the east, and... uh, two six l- 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 right, yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. Oh, this is a worry, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you have ILS on that? No, there's no ILS. So it's a, a what we call an RNAV approach. So what? RNAV, radio, uh, yeah. Uh, oh God, area navigation. Jesus, that's good. <laughs> um, so you use GPS to find your position and altitude and land off off that. Goodness. Mm. Does that, I mean, if you can do that safely, and obviously it is safe. Yeah. Does could that make ILS obsolete? Um, it could do in, in many places. The, the benefit of ILS is you can obviously land with much lower visibility. So the the minimums where you have to be able to see the runway for a RNAV approach are much higher than for a ILS. It's generally two hundred feet is your standard um, for an ILS, whereas for an RNAV it can be four, five, six hundred feet, possibly even higher. The reason being the reason being how accurate uh, how accurate is and the the, the re- reaction time if you are off the off, off the the, um, the approach mm. somewhat, yeah, you know, by a minor amount, right? Um, and so an ILS is considered more a precision approach, right? Um, and so also, if they are operating low visibility procedures, which means that the aircraft won't taxi in front of the beam and that everyone holds further and have fewer aircraft per hour, then they can go into lo- low nav procedures, and then you can go down to zero feet. Gosh, so you won't even see the runway before you land. Wow, good heavens! Mm. Oh, that's and really GPS. As a you know, has a habit of taking people in the wrong direction. You're going to end up going any, through any rivers or I, down I, some sort of narrow mean. lanes that you can't get down. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of the GPS issues with cars are user error rather than um, 
or how the, the software's programmed. And right. How, how many landings do you do where you just can't see anything until you land? But it is very rare, to be honest. Right. It's if it's one a year, that's quite yeah. quite a lot. How many? Uh, and it must be like <laughs> it's quite. I mean, when you actually do yeah. it for real, it's quite. quite it's quite unnerving. <laughs> uh, the worst thing has I've found once was we, we landed in almost zero visibility. Yeah, landing was fine because it's an autopilot landing. Yeah. And then you can't see the taxi, so you can't see where you're going. You have to slow down and stop and look for every every um, taxi line. So the landing was fine. It was then trying to find the terminal. After that was the problem. When fog. you say auto, do you, was it a fully fog. automatic, fog. Yeah. fully automatic, hands off landing? Do you mean? Well, you are hands on, but yes, it's, okay. the, the airplane is doing everything uh, right down to about decelerating to about 100 knots, and then you take the automatics out and do the rest manually. Goodness me, mm. God, I, I'd find that quite scary. <laughs> But it works. It's, uh, we haven't lost one yet, as I say. Oh, steady. Touch wood. Crikey. <laughs> taxiing, that must be quite stressful, I imagine, taxiing. Almost worse yeah. than landing, because yeah. that's... I mean, I mean you literally don't going, uh, as we've just mm. seen horribly in Japan. Yeah. If you're in the wrong place... Exactly. Um, and that, I think that's where, where more of <coughs> the incidents are going to be happening. You know, It's one of the big things we brief, is ground collision is, is, is a far greater problem than anything in the air. We Jesus. talked about this a bit in a recent, in inverted commas, <laughs> podcast, didn't we? That happened a bit in America yeah. uh, mm. with uh, with yeah. aircraft airliners mm. Taxi, in yeah. the wrong place mm. at, the, at the very wrong time. Yeah, but thankfully avoided due to yes. sharp-eyed air traffic controllers. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, you the taxiways light up for okay, you. Okay, so they? at certain airports, you have a thing called progressive taxi, where mm. the taxiway lights up for you to take you to your. Um, either to, to the runway or to your gate. And so you'll get a set of green lights that'll be just for you and they'll bend. And as you go past them, they'll go for the, they'll move then for the person behind you. Clever. And so what the instruction you'll get at Heathrow, for example, will be follow the greens to your, to your stand and you just follow the green lights. So in thick fog, that can really help because you can normally see two or three lights ahead mm. of you and you just, you just follow those. <sighs> Bloody hell. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Golly, we put our, our lives in your hands, James. <laughs> Although I'm yet to do that. Has anyone else flown with James ever? Yeah, I, oh, you have I, a little Yes, play, a little. You? Scared the leaving bejesus out of me. But that was at my request, so that was rather stupid. <laughs> yeah. So we've inadvertently actually strayed into Ask James territory. You may remember, listener, that we have an Ask James segment where we read out our own questions as well as those that you've sent in. But because we haven't been broadcasting for the best part of a year, we haven't had a chance or you haven't had a chance to send questions in apart from where are we? (laughs) Um, We could do do some questions. So I'm going to read out this one email Mm. from Don who is our listener from Texas. Oh, it's him. Our Texas correspondent. Yeah, exactly. Don (laughs) Gilman. I'm a plain nut, a groupie. I worked in the FBO business, watched Flight Radar 34, knew Sir John Woodward, helped put satellite Wi-Fi on planes and build scale models of planes. You guys were a great addition to my podcast list. I hope all of you and your families are well and your day jobs are so busy that you can't schedule new podcasts (laughs) for a while. He hopes we can't schedule any more vloggers. No, but I hope to hear you again in 2024. (laughs) Well, oh, that's, that's kind. Yeah, Thank so you very much, Don. Yeah, cheers, exactly. Don. That was Thanks. nice. One. Yeah, we had a few little messages like that. I think there was another email we got through, and and a few on Twitter. So it's thousands. We've thousands of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, it's really nice of those people. Uh, thank you, and I'm sorry we've been so absent, but mm. we've explained that in our previous podcast. Basically, Roy. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
There were, now, James, you you were over in the States not that long ago mm. and you had a trip to the Reno Air Races. I did. Which I did a, I might a, not be going for much longer. Not as Reno Air Races, no. Um, so that was the last Reno Air Races I managed to get to one of the days for, uh, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, and it's a real shame that they're not going to be happening anymore. They're looking at new possible venues and I think Vegas might be there. They might be trying to move it to Vegas. Um, but I understand that the... The locals and and the the way that housing has been built and is encroaching on what was the the circuit. People are not as happy to be that close to airplanes, uh, rearing herring around. And I really didn't realise how how much they're herring. I mean, I've seen the Air Bull, uh, the Red Bull Air races in the U or in the Europe, um, and they sort of they fly a couple of hundred feet through these sort of paper and. Um, polythene tunnels but these are they go around concrete poles no. 25 feet in the uh, in the sand what? with a big basically with a dustbin painted white on top of them i think a couple of them even have lights on them advanced. <laughs> and they are going around between 50 and 100 feet and i mean so there's i saw there were four different sort of classes there there's the f1 class which is basically a coffin with wings on it <laughs> which just hairs around <laughs> Then there is the unrestricted, which are mostly um, Mustangs, but massively beefed up Mustangs with ridiculous engines and uh, the aerofoil has been cut and all sorts of things to make it even faster. And there's jets. Um, and to see, honestly, five jets whizzing past you in close formation. What, what sort of jets? There's sort of things like F5s and um, Albatross L39s. So they're sort of train mid, sort of probably 20-year-ago trainers. Um, military trainers yeah. um, and they're all in formation but they all hate each other <laughs> so oh, they're, really? they're all fighting against each other to, to try and get in front so that's yeah. that's incredible and then the last one they had were the um, the short takeoff and landing thing so they're basically mostly Piper Cubs yeah. with massive wheels and their race it, it's not they don't race around the poles but they have to get airborne fly for a, a certain amount then land stop turn around get airborne come back land and stop again in the shortest distance they possibly can and they were tipping over all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was again. It was. It was. And then they'd, they'd basically do it next. There'd be two next to each other, and it'd be a knockout race between two aircraft, and then it had this knockout competition. Goodness, and that was fascinating as well. And how many, how many people were there? So you interviewed some people. Yeah, I interviewed, a- I interviewed a couple of the racers. One of the guys in the F one, um, <coughs> another one in the um, uh, in the jet class, I think, and then another a friend of mine who's done it before. Yeah, um, and. He actually had a an engine failure on the final lap, wow. um, and then basically pulled up and managed to land it safely yeah. from that. Um, but just after I was, I think about three days after, there was a collision and yeah. a couple of people got got killed. Unfortunately, is that one of the reasons for? I think that that's part yeah. of the reason why it's it's they don't want it to happen there anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they are, I, as far as I know, they're still looking for a place for it to be yeah. um, held. In the future, how long has it been? Yeah, how long has it been going for, James? Sixty years, I think. Has it really? Sixty-eight years or something like that. Yeah, it's been a long time. Well, soon we're going to do an episode on it, so you'll have all the quick facts. Mm. I can't wait to uh, to write them. Mm. So you did some good interviews out there. Some interviews there. Yeah, well done. And how? And why were you there? Uh, Well, I was just on a trip to um, San Fran, and one of the chaps who was actually there on the another aircraft type. He was the child. We 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 discussed. He was going to do a. He he does a. Um, this is not going well. Um, <laughs> so he does some uh, a battle reenactment of the last ever battle 
of the Second World War with which is basically two uh, reconnaissance aircraft. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, right. the, the stork. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that. So they were firing, the firing, firing pistols at each other. Yeah. And he flies that reenactment. He flies us <coughs> along. And then he said, oh, I see you got, you're got you going um, San Fran at the same time as me. Do you want to go up to Reno? And I couldn't turn that down. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, how fantastic. Mm. Oh, it's brilliant. I look forward to that. You mentioned the Piper Cup. Mm. You'll know, I'm sure, who I mean by Ellie Carter, oh, yeah, yeah. who uh, we'll follow on Twitter and, mm-hmm. and the, the socials, who I think started flying at about the age of 15, like that, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, amazing. She's subsequently, I think she's only still 19 now, <laughs> subsequently flown all sorts of historic aircraft at some major events, highly regarded aviatrix. She's currently studying, I think, down in Southampton. She's a huge fan of Scouting for Girls. You've got a young fan. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? She was going to come to Guildford, actually, but f- forgot. <laughs> well, we're playing Southampton on tour in November. Great. Plus across the country. So Oh, fantastic. Good. Tickets. No, Ellie fabulous. But yeah, yeah. good. But um, so I've been in touch with her partly because of uh, spending quite a lot of time in, in Cornwall and she's based <coughs> down in the West Country. So I just really want to do a piece with her about her, her life in aviation so far. Because it's, do you know it, what? Go I, on. Last time I was in Southampton, we played the engine rooms and there's a fabulous uh, museum, uh, aviation museum. Oh, the Solent. Yeah. Yeah, that's really where good. this BAC1 London's Yeah, so gone. we should, yeah. let's do that and talk to Ellie that would be good yeah no I'm going to meet her down in Devon and Cornwall so we can go flying oh nice oh yeah oh yeah that's what's behind this but she is also involved in a in a project uh restoring a sop with strutter an old world war one biplane uh which is being restored up in uh Scotland and they're they're seeking funding I think they've got a lot of funding but they've got a sort of crowdfunding thing going or kickstarter campaign I, I was meant to get the details to put out on this podcast from her, but I'm afraid that didn't quite happen. But if anyone wants to get onto the Ellie's uh, socials or whatever and find out about the sop with Strutter, there's got a BBC documentary being made about it, and she's be- going to be hopefully the first female to fly this sop with Strutter. Um, please do and, and lend your support. Um, it's going to be really interesting. And um, so that's coming up in the near future. Okay, so I suppose there'll be, be a lot about that because 100th anniversary of... First World War. Goodness me. So, yeah. I wonder if that's what's behind it. Yeah. Nice time. Yeah. Nice nice bit of history. It's not 100th anniversary. No, it's not. It's, it's the 110th anniversary. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 110th anniversary, yeah. So it is. Might yeah. have to edit that bit out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I'm just going to seem really stupid. Yeah. 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 I mean, for agreeing with you. Yeah. Mm. Oh, for, okay. for sounding surprised. Yeah. Actually. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately yeah. You, you can't see my puzzled, quizzical look on <laughs> that. Yeah. Right, yeah. So maybe that's not what's behind yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Fair but that would be good. I'll cut that. Well, look, uh, this is a historic podcast in many ways, but we are looking back on the history of commercial aviation from our visit to Croydon Airport, uh, the old London airport from the 1920s and 30s. And Jez, have you got some quick facts for us? Well, I have, actually. Written by me. Uh, Well, plagiarised by me. Come on, then. Uh, so here are some quick facts on Croydon Aerodrome, Croydon Airport. Lovely. Um, sighted at Plough Lane, Beddington Airfield was established for Zeppelin protection in the First World War with two British aircraft factory BE-2Cs on station there in 1916. In 1918, Wadden Airfield, just across the road from Beddington, opened as part of the National Aircraft Factory, and by 1920, these two airfields combined to become Croydon Aerodrome and London's gateway for all international flights. 
Croydon was the first airport in the world to introduce air traffic control, a control tower and radio positioning fixing. At a mighty 15 foot high, the control tower was commissioned in February 1920. <laughs> Britain's first national airline, Imperial Airways, used Croydon as its operating base from March 1924 and from here... Developed can, I, can I just say that it's the 100th anniversary since that happened? <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to put that in there. So it's the 100th... <laughs> 1924, just, just wanted to note that. <laughs> not, not 110. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. Just 100. And, and how, how remiss of me not to have noticed that when I first penned these That's the reason facts. I'm here, Jess. That's yeah, uh, Roy, it, it, it wouldn't be the same without you. Um, so, 100 years ago, uh, it became the first operating um, base. Uh, and from here, uh, Imperial Airways developed Britain's long-haul routes to India, Africa, the Middle and Far East, Asia and Australia, initially using de Havilland DH-34s. Following a fatal DH-34 crash in 1924, a public inquiry and an Act of Parliament, the Croydon Aerodrome Extension Act, led to a greatly expanded airport. And this included the world's first airport hotel and terminal, completed in 1928. The Mayday procedure word was conceived as a distress call in the 1920s at Croydon Airport by Frederick Stanley Mockford, the officer in charge of radio. Amy Johnson took off from Croydon in May 1930 for her record-breaking flight to Australia, seen by just a few well-wishers, but on her return, hundreds of thousands welcomed her home. Charles Lindbergh landed in the Spirit of St Louis uh, in 1927, greeted by huge crowds, and Winston Churchill took flying lessons at Croydon. In the years preceding the Second World War, Imperial Airways were now using four-engined HP-42 and HP-45 biplanes, but in 1938 the Chamberlain government merged Imperial with British Airways uh, to form BOAC and started the move to larger four-engine monoplanes like the Armstrong Whitworth Ensign. World War II saw the closure of the airport to civil aviation, but it became a fighter station during the Battle of Britain, where 92 Squadron flew Spitfires from the now RAF Croydon. Croydon was bombed in error by the Luftwaffe on the 15th of August 1940, with the intended raid meant for Kenley four miles away. Hangars, the terminal building and the armoury were destroyed, with nearby factories also ruined, uh, and in total 68 people were killed. The end of the war also signalled the beginning of the end for Croydon as London's airport. Urban sprawl had surrounded the land, leaving little room to expand, and with larger and heavier aircraft requiring more space, Heathrow was designated as London's new premier airport. Croydon returned to civil control in 1946 with around 218 departures a week, but just a year later this had reduced to 56 a week. By 1952, the decision to close the airport had been taken and the very last scheduled flight took off at 6.15pm on the 30th of September 1959. Uh, today, with much of the airport built over, there remains the fabulous neoclassical terminal building and a visitor centre in the control tower, and it's well worth a visit, as we did. And there's a quick good. fax. Good well done, bro. Yeah. Good job. And the yeah. hotel's still there as well, isn't it? Yes, it next is, door is the old hotel. Yeah, and it yeah. all looks... Fa that building is just stunning. It is brilliant. It? It's a bit of a surprise, actually, because yeah, yeah. it's not necessarily looking that yeah. impressive from the A23 or whatever yeah. as you drive past. But once you're there, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, Inside and out. Yeah. 
and and the tour we had with Ian Walker was uh, it was just great, wasn't it? it was, yeah. it, let's hear a clip, in fact, from from that visit where we were given the most comprehensive and fascinating guided tour by Ian Walker himself, an airline pilot who's been an integral part of the historic Croydon Airport Trust for many years. And they, it is, who've done such a fantastic job of keeping this iconic piece of aviation history alive. In the Second World War, this became part of um, uh, RAF Fighter Command, 11 groups. So this was a Battle of Britain airfield. Uh, on the 15th of August 1940, the airfield was heavily, heavily bombed. Um, and that corner of the building actually got bombed out, so it all got blown out. So when they're actually rebuilding it, of course, they haven't really got the time or the blocks to, to build it in exactly the same style. So they just needed really to close the building up. So that's why you've got these skinny columns there. Um, and really, that's a really a reminder of what, what happened at that time when it was about Was it called RAF Croydon? It was called RAF Croydon, yeah. Because a couple of airfields joined together. Original, it, so when it originally started, right back in World War One, it was two airfields. So you had um, Royal Flight Corps Station Bennington and you also had um, the airfield with the National Aircraft Factory as well. Um, and they amalgamated those two together. So, And they used various different sides uh, of, of the airfield. I mean, the, the main landing ground really was just to the, the west of Plough Lane. It used to go straight through the airfield, um, which they eventually closed off. So it was two airfields. One, one was the, the aircraft factory testing aircraft, and the other one was what the RFC stroke REF used. And then post-World One, that was all, all came together. They made it one big airfield, um, generally known as... Um, RAF, RFC Bennington but it was also known as RAF Croydon as well at the time so there's, there's another chart we found in 1919 so it got all, called all sorts of things so, um, <laughs> Wadden as well Wadden, yeah, Wadden yeah absolutely well, yeah yeah because yeah. it was in Wadden yeah. so it was called that um, but we're around the back now um, so just talk about this very very briefly the base of the control tower Oh, this is stunning. This is yeah. so exciting. We're looking up. This the is the here. world's oldest uh, surviving air traffic control tower. So it's not the first one built. The first one built uh, was built here at Croydon in 1920, which is a timber structure. Uh, I mean, it was a very simple structure. It was re- really, it was a shed on stilts. <laughs> so that was the first control tower. That was 1920. But this was. This became operational in 1928, so the actual tower itself is 50 foot high and with the radio mast as well, that gives it another 30 feet. So it's over, it's over 80 feet in um, total in height, four storeys, uh, and each floor served a particular task. So on the ground floor, you would have had the traffic hands uh, and your customs officials. Uh, the first floor is where the Met Office staff were as well. So the Met Office came under the Air Ministry, and the Air Ministry ran the operation so they they regulated aviation but they also operated the airport as well um and then just below the balcony were the sleeping quarters for the staff here it's 24 7 operation so that's where the radio officers sleep the um the catos the civil aviation traffic officers which are your fledgling air traffic controllers uh, and your met office staff as well and then at the top that's where the catos the air traffic officers worked and the radio officers sort of handling all the traffic at the time you say twenty-four operation. You yeah. weren't getting flights during the night. You, you did. You did get some, not not many, but they they would have a they would have a watch here 
uh, um, on duty because sometimes stuff gets delayed. Uh, mm. They also have you know early morning flights going out as well. So um, it wasn't quite twenty four seven as maybe some some airports are, but uh, there would always be somebody here on duty as well. Wow. That's quite so, brave. Yeah, it is. In those and they, days. And they didn't, have, didn't have many staff as well, so they're, they're working quite long shifts as well, which is why they had sleeping facilities, but it's all catered for. And where we're standing now would have been the apron. This would have I been mean, the apron. Exciting. Just, I'm going to yeah. close my eyes so, and imagine HB42 yeah, yeah. is it. just parked <laughs> to my right. <laughs> Describe what's here now. Right? <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> I'm taking pictures, so we can we can put some pictures to accompany the episode when it goes out. So you can actually imagine what we're seeing or what we might have seen. I have a request before we put out the full-length interview because outside is a beautiful De Havilland Heron. Yeah. Which is the first aircraft I ever flew in at the yeah. beginning of the show in nineteen sixty five. I said dumb <laughs> and I'm so annoyed with myself, so please edit that. Okay, yeah. Thanks. Uh, Thanks, I, right. I definitely won't. Yeah, of course. Okay. I knew that wouldn't happen. Um but it no, it was it was really, really good. And and if you'd like to step back in time with a visit to Croydon, just get onto their website, historiccroydonairport.org.uk where you'll find loads of information, as well as dates for their open days, which I think are pretty much monthly, aren't they? Yeah, I what? think it's the first Sunday of every month. Is it? Yeah, but you have to book. You do. And they say on their website, please only book if you're definitely going to come, because the tickets are in high demand. They are, so. yeah. And the tickets usually go on sale about a couple of weeks in advance, I think. As Jez said, really is well worth a visit. So our thanks to Ian Walker. You'll hear his full interview, of course, in full flaps, which will come out shortly. Next week. Next week. Yeah. Lovely, depending on you listening to this, of course. Yeah. You know what it's time for now, don't you, everybody? Oh, God, I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. doing that. Even yeah. All yeah. Time. It's the top landing gear quiz, everybody. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> you can see him getting excited now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Special plinth from a pinger. There it is. Um, now, usual question, has everyone thought of and brought along a buzzer? Yes. Yes. Right. Who would like to... Who, anyone ready to demonstrate their buzzer so I can... I'm work ready. Out who's, okay, Jim, <coughs> what have you got? my Croydon buzzer. From the time an outgoing liner leaves the ground, radio communication is established with Croydon. That's lovely. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Morse code going what? Yeah, it says, uh, hello, Croydon, this is Alf Charlie Bravo, over. <laughs> I think. Brilliant, Jim. I love it. Uh, Jez? That was quite classy. This isn't. Uh, this is the only thing I could think of uh, related to Croydon. Is it so something we've heard before? No. Well, you might have done. No, not not from me, no. No, no. That is just <laughs> Catherine Tate. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. One of my favourite characters in Gotham. Lauren Cooper. Well, lovely. Am I bothered? V- very classy. Well done, Jess. <laughs> Roy, what about you? I don't. Do you want Lauren? So, did we take you by surprise uh, <laughs> here with this eight months on? <laughs> Didn't quite no, have time no. to prepare a buzzer. Uh, yeah, no one okay. told us we didn't Croydon. No. <laughs> uh, it does. It could just be a buzzer, right? Okay. You know, in the traditional way of all quiz shows. Uh, oh, 
gypsy moth. Oh, beautiful. Oh, Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah. perfect. Well done. Eventually. Okay, everyone, best of luck. This is a quiz on all about Croydon and associated things. Ready? Yes. Here we go. This is the top landing gear quiz. Question number one, and very relevant from what we've just heard from Roy there. Starting with an old favourite. Oh, no. See who has any memory recall whatsoever about this. Jez mentioned it in his quick facts. Croydon, of course, was the starting point for many aviation records, most notably that of Amy Johnson, <laughs> who was the first woman to fly solo from London, Croydon, to Darwin in Australia. How long did it take her? This was, of course, May 1930. She took off in her London to Gypsy Moth. That's when we last recorded. Uh, sorry, how long did it take her to fly from London to Darwin? Yes, James. <laughs> 26 days. 26 oh. days from James. Anyone else like to go nearest will get it as long as it's reasonably close. Yes, there is the, there's the engine. Yeah. That's the aeroplane. I think it's 37 days. 37 yeah. days from Roy. Jez? Um, <laughs> uh, 30 days. 30 days. You're all woefully out. I mean, we, we have this question in almost <laughs> and I every actually read it and you you prepared it in your yeah. quick facts yes it was 19 and a half oh, days yes. right right that's awful so we're saying i was closest basically are we not I think close on this enough. occasion not going to be bang not on. not close <laughs> enough we've done it so many but times. i'm yeah. going to give you a chance for a bonus point right, I know. what was the name of her aviator <laughs> husband <laughs> yes jane uh, jim jim, jim. I actually wrote this down. Uh, no, you mustn't. No, I wrote it down on another piece of paper which I haven't brought with me. Morislalis. Mor Mor Morilis. Hopeless. Why complicate it? <laughs> Morrison. Yes, yes, James. Jim Mollinson. <laughs> That's good enough. It's actually Jim Mollison. He was Scottish. Of course, the, the joke being that he was what, James? Part of the Doors, obviously. Lead singer of the Doors. <laughs> I knew that. Of course, he, of course he wasn't, but... Um, well done. So we've got we've struggled to get our first point on what? the board. Did Let's I get go. half a point? No, of course not. No. You're, you're, no, James Morales. <laughs> I didn't say James. Wow. It was James Mollison. No, Jim Mollison. Yeah. Please, that will come up again in future podcast quizzes. <laughs> Question number two. <clears throat> Croydon Aerodrome was the base of Rollison aircraft and engines dating back to the mid-1940s, who built and supplied numerous aircraft to the wonderful Tiger Club, uh, then based at nearby Red Hill. Can you name the utterly brilliant little aircraft that Rollison's built under licence from Frenchman Roger Druin, the aircraft's inventor? Of course we can name it, because we talk about it every All week. The time, yes. Oh, Jesus. And it's the... Um, <laughs> Keep it clean, please, James. Hmm. No blaspheming. Uh... Oh! <laughs> yes, Jess. The turbulence. It is the turbulence. Oh, of cool. course, well it's done. the lovely well turbulence. Well uh, one of which crashed in our garden when I was five years old in 1963. And it's flying again, which is oh. a lovely thing. Uh, P.I.Z. Uh, flies with the Tiger Club, the, the Turb team. Uh, there was also, do you know the name, the two-seat version of the Turbulent that they also built there? Smooth? <laughs> no, it was called... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was anything but... It was called the the Condor, in fact. But uh, there we are. Well done, Jez. Turbulent, you're off the mark as well. Question number three. 
The passenger aircraft perhaps most closely associated with Croydon's reign as London's airport was the Handley Page HP42, not mentioned in your quick It was. Was it? It was. Oh, I do beg And the 45 Uh, and the 34. Oh, well, well, let's hope we get this right then. Yeah. So it was the Handley Page HP42, I must have dropped off at that moment, sorry bro, (laughs) Uh, operated by Imperial Airways. It had a virtually unblemished safety record, but only eight were ever built. And... Four HP42s, four HP45s, which is just the longer. Uh, HP42 was a slightly longer range, more seats in the HP42, shorter range. Uh, HP45, sorry. Yeah, Long this, range 42. This is a quiz, not for facts. Okay. <laughs> now, these HP42s were mostly named after legendary heroes, all beginning with the letter H. How many can you name? And there's a point for each. Yes, Jake. Hercules. Not Hercules, actually. Bad luck. Yes, James? Heracles. Heracles. Absolutely right. And in fact, it was Heracles, G-A-A-X-E, which they had the models of in the... uh, There was a huge model, wasn't there, in the the control tower. So that's one point to Jez. Uh, Any others? Hydrox. It's a type of shampoo, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, not <laughs> hydrox. Words with H no. Roy, do you want to have a go? Any kind of Roman, Greek or otherwise hero, beginning with H, might be a heroine, even. Um, anything coming to Radio mind? communication is a step. Helen. No. Uh, no. Helen, <laughs> yeah, named after Helen of Troy. That goes to uh, James. Um, there's a chap who built a wall. Yes, Hadrian. Hadrian, well done, Jez. You're on two now. Uh, there are a few more. Let's do, we, won't, we won't drag this out for too much longer. Roy, uh, another H at all? No, nothing. Hermione. Uh, uh, no, um, I think we might leave it there. It's getting a little bit painful. Uh, there was Hannibal, the Carthaginian commander. That was A A G X. There was Hanno, the navigator. Horatius. Which you didn't quite get, no. and there was Horsa and uh, Hengist as well, who Horsa. were Germanic people, as in the glider, as in the World War Two glider. Almost a bonus point for you there, Jez. Well done. So <laughs> after these first few questions, Jez is in the lead with three. James has two. Roy yet to uh, can I? I've just trouble the scorers. You've made yourself a tower on which to place your bell. I thought it was a little low down <laughs> before and a bit out of out of range of the microphone. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> Question number one, two, three, four, five. Which aircraft type, which is still flying, flew regular services out of Croydon and was used by BEA for the Lands End Isles of Silly Route up until May 1964 when they were replaced by the Sikorsky S61 helicopter? Yes, James. The DC 3. Not the DC 3. No. Interesting. Anyone else want to have a go? It's a beautiful aircraft. Really beautiful aircraft. It's a biplane. Very pointy wingtips. Oh. Too late, James. Too late. Jez, you want to have a go? No. I've been on a couple of these. They're lovely. James, you won't R- get a point, but... Rapide. It is the a lovely rapide. de Havilland Rapide. <clears throat> so, uh, still Jez in the lead by one point. Question number whatever it is. The schematic route maps for Imperial Airways, which adorn the staircase of the control tower, do you remember? Yes. Were designed by Harry Beck... What other design classic along similar lines was Beck responsible for? Yes, James. The London Underground map. It was oh, indeed the London that. Underground map. Well done. Excellent. Fantastic. 
Okay, next question. In March 1936, Imperial Airways inaugurated its service to Hong Kong, although it was a separate route which connected with their Croydon Australia service using a DH-86A. Where was this connection made? <laughs> yes, Jess. I'm going to give it to Roy. Go on, Roy. All right, Roy. All right, Roy. Let's hear it. Malaya. Malaya, you say? Yes. Do you want to be more specific? No. <laughs> Do you want to be more specific? Is it uh, uh, Kuala Lumpur? No, it's actually Penang. But oh, I was going to say oh, it is Malaya. Well done, Roy. Yeah, I, I'm, that might have been a sort of hangover from the flying boat days. Oh. I don't know, but it was indeed. Penang in Malaya. I can't believe I just gave that to Roy. How long did that take you to get? Oh, you were you were, you were really close. I know. James. It was an <laughs> error. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I well might done. claim it back yeah. at the end. Okay. okay. There aren't many questions left. Mm. See if you remember this. Jim might get this. What was the name of the instrument used to triangulate an aircraft's position by measuring the angles between an aircraft and three different? Ground stations. Funny enough, I saw this in a film only this afternoon, which was that wonderful film, The Sound Do you remember that? Mm. Uh, that was on telly earlier. Yes, I, Jim. I think it was a VDF, did they call it? They didn't, no. That's a disease. <laughs> <laughs> Long since gone, I think. Well, from me. Was it not VHF direction finding? Or... No. No? Well, they no. had radio positioning finding. Yeah, this is a really weird... I remember seeing the it, thing there. It, it's, from, it's from Greek. Yeah, it was there. Uh, in fact, there there were a lot. We took lots of pictures of us looking at it. Yeah, mm. uh, which are on my phone, which I yeah. could cheat and have a look at. Mm. Begins with the letter G. It's a difficult one. I think I'm going to have to tell you. Mm. It's a goniometer or goniometer. No, oh no, I wouldn't no. have got that. Derived from the Greek for angle, gonia, and measure, metron, goniometer. That's a tough question. It's great. One name. more. Yeah. The name Croydon. Hang on. The name Croydon comes from the Anglo-Saxon cro, meaning crocus, and denu, meaning valley, indicating that it was a centre for the cultivation of saffron. Similar to which town in Essex, where Audley End Airfield is... Yes, Jez. Saffron. Oh, no, that was... Not the... Sorry? Saffron Walden. Saffron Walden, <laughs> which was an answer in... Eggheads. Eggheads, correctly answered by... You. Correct. Well done, Jerry. You get two bonus points. Uh, and that ends the quiz, our comeback quiz <laughs> for 2024. on the quizzes. Though, and the final scores are... Fraternal cheating. In third, one point away. <laughs> in third place with one, Roy. In second place, he did have three, being rude to the quiz master, minus one. He now has two. <laughs> James Carter and our winner and it's oh, not no, often no. this happens Come Jez on. Curling with five points five well points well five done. that's mega yeah. well done bro the best score ever I think it probably is I mean you have been looking at the quick facts for <laughs> <laughs> all day <laughs> for eight months which, 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 which <laughs> must help but there we go well done great so that's the quiz everyone uh, are you still with us still listening yes of course you are I good so. um and that's probably pretty much the end of the show. It's the end of the show, yeah. Hasn't it been fun? It has. Yeah. So do remember that we will have the full interview with Ian Walker uh, coming up in a week's time in our full flaps edition. And and that's, I say interview, I mean, it was very much a guided tour, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, it's, it's just fascinating. His his knowledge of history and indeed architecture yeah. mm. was is, is absolutely fascinating. And remember, of course, if you'd like to listen to any or all of our podcasts so far, you'll find them on our website, toplandingyear.com, 
or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And please do subscribe. It's completely free. And let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature. And I'm sure we won't try and make it happen, but we might. <laughs> uh, you can get in touch with us, of course, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Top Landing Gear. And do email us with your questions for our expert James for his Ask James segment. We'd love to hear your questions because they're all coming from us at the moment. Uh, To do that, just contact us, info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com. Two G's. Two G's. Two G's in there. And do check out the socials for news of future episodes. Or better still, visit scoutingforgirls.com to see when Roy isn't touring. (laughs) That might just give you a clue. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And from all of us, bye for now. This is Top Landing Gear.